Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We were in this study a couple weeks ago, and I just want to refresh you if you were here. Um, two essential truths that we saw in Luke chapter 11 was this. Number one, Christ is the burden bearer. And we know, of course, that uh, for Christians, he, bears our bur- he, or he bore our burdens on uh, the cross of Calvary. Uh, but even today, he still is here and available for us at any time for us to come to him and to cast our cares upon him. First Peter tells us that, that we are to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. He's the burden bearer. Um, and the second thing that we saw an essential truth is truth is the key of knowledge. And again, you can just debate and discuss uh, whether, you know, well, what truth are you talking about? We know according to God's word, there's only one truth, and it's absolute. Jesus in his prayer for the church in John chapter 17 said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And so if you're in a discussion with somebody and they're saying, well, I don't know that that is actually true. You can be 100% sure and you can have absolute confidence that if you're sharing the word of God with them and it's in context and you're using it rightly, that you're giving them 100% truth. Um, You don't have to worry about, well, if it it applies to them, uh, then great. If it doesn't apply to them, uh, well, then they can, no, no, no. There is absolute truth. And again, uh, we live in a society that says, well, I don't agree with that. And, and, and I understand that. Everybody has their own choice. Everybody has their own will. Uh, people can debate and discuss and argue and disagree that I don't think that truth for you is necessarily truth for me. Uh, but we know that's wrong. And here's the, here's the difficult place for us. For somebody who says, well, you have your Bible and that's truth for you, but it's not truth for me. There's going to be a day that, that they realize just how true that this word is, just how true this really is. And, and I'm afraid on that day, if it doesn't happen before they die, it's going to be way too late. It's going to be late to make their mind up then and say, well, I, okay, now I want to believe it is true. Um, again, that, that's not like a, trying to be a downer or a discouragement. That should be for us as Christians an encouragement, something that stirs us up and says, you know what? I need to make sure people hear the truth. Of course, we know if somebody hears the truth, they can say, I don't care. I don't believe it. I don't want it. Um, That's every person's choice. Uh, But again, it's our our privilege to have the key to knowledge, which is the truth. And again, the lawyers in Jesus' day, the Bible says, Jesus told them that you've shut up the key of knowledge. You've hid the key of knowledge to those who need it. And uh, again, I pray that as Christians today, we're not making the same mistake. That we're not keeping the key of knowledge, the truth of God's word, uh, pent up or hid up in our lives filled with comfort. Or, or hid and concealed from the lost in our lives consumed with busyness. Uh, I pray that we have this key and we share it with those who need it. Uh, but again, very important points, very important things. Um, but again, if we look at what Jesus is doing and, and the circumstances that he's going through, uh, it's not real uh, conducive to... Um, uh, an enjoyable life, if, if, if you would. Uh, but again, he's facing this, and I want to I pray and get into uh, what God has for us this morning. So let's do that. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the example uh, that we have in Scripture that you've given to us. Thank you for truth. And I pray that this morning as we continue to move forward in this study, uh, that you would help us to focus on you. Uh, Lord, you'd help us to receive what you have 
uh, in store for every single person. Lord, if there's someone here that's lost, uh, I pray that they would hear the truth. They'd realize how much love that you have for them uh, and what you did coming to this earth and dying on a cross, shedding your blood because you love the world so much, God. And I pray um, that they'd also realize as we're celebrating this month the resurrection, uh, you didn't stay in a grave that you rose three days later. Because you did that, Lord, you uh, can offer life, eternal life. And uh, Lord, again, we thank you for that. And I pray that as we move forward, uh, you would be glorified and our lives would be edified. And again, we thank you for this. And we ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple years ago, we did a, um, a study entitled Returning to God. And it was a long journey. Uh, but in this study, we saw the northern kingdom uh, had created a system of worship for themselves. Um, and again, this is nearly a thousand years before Christ. Uh, they had set up a system. They had uh, set up groves. They had set up temple worship. They in installed their own priests. They did all this to suit themselves uh, because they didn't want to do things God's way. Again, it didn't suit them, didn't suit what the, their pleasure was. And so they created this entire system. And um, in this journey that we've been taking, the reason I say that is because we're starting to see uh, this pattern repeated as Jesus is walking about these Pharisees and these Sadducees and these lawyers. They have obviously made a religion that was delivered to the Jews all about themselves. They had, they had reinterpreted, redefined, um, and, and, and made something that was suitable that actually fit and benefited those religious leaders uh, more than it did honor and please the Lord. But my concern, again, as we were taking this today, in 2017, this journey with Jesus, again, to answer the question, who is he to you? My, my concern is, we as the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ that we might be guilty of doing the same, a little bit of the same, if not a lot of the same, as what's happened many times with God's people throughout history. And not just in the Christian church, but across the, 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 in America, but across the world. Um, not only in the Christian church, but you see so many different religions spread out all over. I've had many discussions, and maybe some of you have had this discussion, with so many religions in the world, how can you be so certain that Christianity is the right way. With, with all of the different paths, you know, you have uh, Buddhism and Hinduism and, and um, you know, so many different ways. How can you be so certain that Christianity is the only way? And again, this journey that we've been on, uh, hopefully, is, if that matter isn't settled, uh, it's giving you some of those answers, giving you those things. Uh, but again, Jesus came to this earth, lived on this earth to make sure we saw who God was, what God had to say, and what, what God expected of his people. And again, he's been living that out um, in, in our study. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn them to Luke chapter 12, we see in this study so far that it's not about our preferences, it's not about a system that we've set up, it's not about um, something that benefits us, but it's about a Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, Lord Overall, And again, where we left off, um, Christ had rebuked the religious leaders, rebuked the Pharisees, rebuked the lawyers, um, and they were condemned in their religion. They were looking, at this point, how they might trap him. How, how can we get him to say something blasphemous? How, how can we get him to do something wrong? 
This is where we pick up in chapter 12. Now, this is a grave miscalculation on their part because they weren't realizing, again, this was God in the flesh. This was an, uh, a, a perfect, sinless Savior come to this earth, and they thought they could do this, but a big swing and a miss, if you will, on their part. In chapter 12, we pick up verse 1. It says this, In the meantime, when they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trode upon one another, or they're gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, they began to trample on each other, and he began to say unto the disciples, first of all, <clears throat> beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So once again, we, we've seen this before, once again, Jesus is gathering a, a crowd, and the Bible says that it's innumerable. You can't count it. Uh, it's so bad that people are trampling all on each other, stomping on each other, uh, becomes a, a, a very unsafe situation. A little chaotic, uh, if we were to d define it. But he turns to his disciples at this point. Not to the multitude, not to the, the, the people that are trampling on each other. He looks at his disciples, first of all, the Bible says, and he gives a very important and insightful warning. The reality is this, he knew what was going to come. He knew what was going to be said. But it would have an overreaching effect that they would need to be aware of. And it was the leaven of the Pharisees. What is that? What is leaven? Anybody know what leaven is? It's yeast. Yeah, leaven is yeast. And, and so Jesus is telling them, be, beware of the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisees. Now why would Jesus warn his disciples when the crowd is gathering, trampling on each other, the lawyers and Pharisees are looking how they are going to trap him. Why would he say something like that? Why would he say beware of the yeast of the Pharisees? Well, the guys, the natural question, what does yeast do? What does yeast do? Well, it causes it, things to rise. But a little more specifically, what, how, how does it make things rise? Well, it ferments things. What essentially is fermentation? It's spoiling. It's spoiling. So... Uh, whenever you have yeast added to, uh, you know, flour and all that kind of stuff, and you add water, and it, it sits there, chemical reactions begin to take place, gas occurs, and then that's what gives us the, the inflation, the overinflated uh, bread or cakes, the yummy things that we eat. Um, and so that's what he says. Beware of the leaven, the spoiling, the fermentation of, of the Pharisees. What is the big deal about that? Why, why would that be uh, you know, a concern? Because in my mind, I'm thinking yeast is good. I realize, you know, uh, fermented, uh, you know, un un I'm sorry, I'm not, leaven, unleavened bread, unfermented, unleavened bread uh, has its place. But I'm thinking I like cakes, right? I like cakes and I like bread. When I, see, here's how I often determine the goodness of a restaurant. We went to we went sure, we went to a Mexican food restaurant yesterday. Never been never been to it before. We're going off the recommendation of some other people, and in my in my mind, or me and Rochelle had this conversation. The very first thing that comes out of my mouth when we go into a Mexican restaurant is this: I hope their chips and salsa are good. That's kind of the gauge because if we can get through step one, chips and salsa are good then I can kind of deal with the rest because if the food's not good, I can just keep eating chips and salsa. 
chips and salsa, are they good? But the other thing is if it's not a Mexican food restaurant, if it's a, you know, a steak place or a barbecue place, here's my first thought. They got good bread. And oftentimes, if I've never been to a place and they have that, I'll even ask, do you, do you guys serve bread? I want to know what the bread, I love bread, I love cakes, it's not, probably not real good, but I love all those things. Um, so I'm thinking in my mind, how can it be bad? But I see Dr. Tawny down here, and he's shaking his head, and I'm thinking, yeast has got to be good. And he's going, uh-uh. <laughs> it's, it's, it is not great. It, it does have purposes and uses, and, and man has, has used that. But I agree with that. But what, what yeast does, whenever it's used in baking or, or, or stuff like that, as we said a while ago, it expands and it, it enlarges things. Their method of spoiling... Jesus was warning his disciples, their method of spoiling, of expanding, of enlarging what was already truth delivered unto them, what was already truth right before them, he says, was hypocrisy. Beware of the spoiling, the enlarging, the yeast, the, the fermentation, all those things wrapped right in one. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And as I said a while ago, in 2017, 2,000 years after Jesus Christ was telling his disciples that then, the spoiling of the truth is still happening today. Still today, people are adding to the truth. People are enlarging the truth and making it, again, suitable for themselves. And so you and I still have to be aware of it today. But what is hypocrisy? Again, we're asking all these questions. Jesus, first thing, because again, if you're in a situation, you're in a, a, a revival service and, and the crowd's gathering together and people are trampling on each other and, 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 and the, the master, the Lord of all creation, the King of kings, turns to his disciples and says, in that moment, he could say anything. He, he could have said, man, guys, we're doing a really good job of getting people here. <laughs> You know, we're, 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 our crowd's growing larger and, and, and our, 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 our services are doing good. No, no, no. He turns to them and he gives them a word of caution. He warns them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Again, this, this is the leaven. This is what, what the problem is. What was their agent, though? If hypocrisy was that, what is the agent of hypocrisy? It was their lifestyle. It was their teaching. The Greek, the Greek word is basically what we hear uh, in our English translation is hypocrisis, meaning acting under a feigned part. It's, a, it's an acting word. So this is what actors did. Actors would put on uh, a mask, you know, thousands of years ago, hundreds of uh, centuries ago, um, and they would act. They would pretend to be someone that they weren't. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. And that was, the, that was what was spoiling Judaism. That's what was spoiling uh, the truth. It was spoiling the word that was delivered from the prophets to the people of Israel. And Jesus Christ had come to the earth and he was writing all of that. And so when we consider that question, how do I know that Buddhism or Hinduism or, 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 or some other religion isn't the right way because Jesus Christ is the truth. He is, he is God come here. That, that is, you've heard me say this before, Jesus Christ is a person, he's the central figure, 
upon which all other false religions go wrong and all other pseudo-Christian religions get it wrong. When I say pseudo-Christians, people that claim to be affiliated with Christianity, but they aren't Christians at all. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses. Those people aren't, and the reason why is because the central figure of Jesus Christ, who he is, has been perverted, distorted, or misunderstood, or all of the above. And so Jesus Christ is, when, you, when, when you're talking to someone and say, how do you know that Jesus is real? How do you know that Christianity is the right path? The first thing that you should point to is the fact that he's transformed your life. He changed you from the inside out. Old things are past, behold, all things have become new. And it's because of Jesus Christ and him alone. So he tells his disciples these truths, and then he instructs them this in verse 2. There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you've spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear in the closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. It's foolish to be hypocritical. It's foolish. Now, I understand this. There's a, a measure of hypocrisy in all of us Christians, right? Because we say, I'm following Christ. And there's moments and there's times and seasons in our lives whether it's in our heart, whether it's in the choices that we make, that we're not really following Jesus Christ. Again, we can say, I'm a Christian, which means I'm a Christ follower. But again, we're not always hitting the nail on the head in every aspect of our life, all the days of our life. And so, again, and, and we understand what that is. We understand we're still battling in the flesh, that we have the Spirit, that that's a real battle in our lives, and that we're striving after Christ, but we fall short at times, we fall into sin. We understand that. But oftentimes the outside world says, they say that they're following Christ. That means they think that they're better than us. But I know, which we know, we don't think that we're better than anybody. But I know that they do this, or they don't do this. They're just as bad as me. They are hypocrites. Maybe you've talked to somebody, invited them to church, and said, hey, I'd like for you to come to church with me sometime. And maybe they've given you that answer before. No, I stopped going to church years ago. Oh, really? Why? It's just a bunch of hypocrites there. You know what I encourage you to say? You're exactly right. Why don't you come join us? <laughs> no, I mean, don't call him a hypocrite. <laughs> but it, I, we, we fall short. We miss the mark. We're not intentionally being hypocrites. We're not trying to pretend to be somebody that we're not. But again, that's what the Pharisees were doing. It's foolish to do so, though. There's no reason to be two-faced. There's no reason to try to be somebody that you're not. One day, everything's going to be made known. One day, everything's going to be revealed. So today, we should be honest and sincere in our living. In everything that we do, our attitudes, our actions, our speech, that's how we should live our life. And that's what, is, that's what character is called. You say, how does someone have a godly character? It's, it's everything lining up with what they're supposed to be. Our words, our actions, our attitudes. So point number one this morning is this. We must guard against hypocrisy and live in sincerity. We must guard against hypocrisy. If we know that our lives can go off track, if we know that there's times that, that my heart um, is, is going off track, even though I'm wanting to do the right things, I'm, I, I'm saying the right words, I may be even sitting in a church service doing the right thing, but in my heart, it's not lining up with what's right. 
If we, if we realize that, then we've got to try to guard against even hypocrisy in our hearts. There's sometimes that, 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 that it's even uh, further than, than our hearts. Sometimes it goes into our actions. As I said a while ago, we say, I'm following Jesus Christ, but sometimes, you know, when, when maybe the church is gathering, we say, I'm going to follow this versus following Jesus Christ. I'm going to go watch this movie instead of do this. And so well, you, you don't have to go to church to follow Jesus Christ. Show me any other scripture in, in, in God's word that it condones not gathering together when the church gathers together. I, and I promise you, you won't find it. Where was Jesus' disciples? They were with Jesus. They were following Jesus everywhere he went. And then again, we see in the scripture, tells us, hey, don't neglect that. But further than that, in every aspect of our life, we are to be making decisions that are following Christ, pleasing him. So again, we've got to guard against hypocrisy and live in sincerity. Everything we say, everything we do, everything in our, in our hearts, we need to strive to live in sincerity of who we say that we are, and that's a follower of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul would charge Timothy as understudy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 with these words. He says this in verse 4, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, but rather than, uh, I'm sorry, rather than godly edifying which is of faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart or out of a sincere heart. It's love out of a sincere heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned or an unhypocritical, a sincere faith from which some have swerved having turned aside into vain jangling. Again, Paul the Apostle, the great man that God used in the New Testament to write pretty much the, the majority of the New Testament, he's telling his understudy, with everything you do, avoid stuff that's going to pull you into confusion and be sincere. Be sincere in your love. Be sincere in your faith. Be sincere in everything you do. John chapter 4, Jesus tells us very clearly, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Not just the truth of his word, but in sincerity. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now I want to challenge you this morning, this first point. Just look at your life and say, is there, is there any area of my life that I'm not guarding against hypocrisy? Again, maybe it's at your job. Maybe it's with your family. And you're not really careful that you're, you're being somebody completely different than, you, than who you say you are. You go to work and you're somebody else. And, and, and you come to church and you're somebody else. Family, same thing. When, I'm around, well, when I get around this cousin, when I get around this, uh, this aunt or this uncle, th uh, that I'm, I'm like this, but, but that's not who we all see or that's not who somebody else sees. We've got to guard against hypocrisy and live in sincerity. And maybe it's happening in your heart. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, and, and you're struggling within. And you, there's, there's a battle and, and, and you know inside the desires. And I'm not saying that's a real battle. Every single one of us has the battle of the, the, uh, the flesh nature. But if, if there's a war there and, and you feel like that you're just going through the motions. You came here this morning because it was the right thing to do. Not necessarily because it was a, a desire. Because you wanted to follow Christ. You had a desire to do something else. Evaluate what's going on on the inside. Am I desiring to follow Christ or am I 
saying all the right words? Am I going and making the right decision? Or am I uh, doing these right decisions, but it's really not in my heart to do it? We've got to guard against hypocrisy and live in sincerity. Again, I encourage you to evaluate that. Evaluate your fellowship with the Lord. Evaluate your worship with the Lord. When you're standing here and, 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 and we're uh, gathered together as a congregation, or if you're in the, in the privacy of your own home, or driving in your car, what, is, what does your worship look like? What does our worship look like as the people of God? Are we living and serving God in sincerity or hypocrisy? Let's move on. Look, look at verse 4. It says, and, and I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you of whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Point number two this morning is this. We must guard against fear and live in faith. <clears throat> he just warned them about the, the leaven of the Pharisees. They had no idea what they were about to experience. They, as the journey would go on and, and Jesus would be betrayed and he would, he would be beaten to death and, and crucified, the apostles had no idea. They had no idea the persecution that was going to come after his death and resurrection, after they were left here alone. They had no idea of the terrors that was going to come upon them. Many of you know history, and you know that even by 70 A.D., it became a nightmare for believing Jews, for believers, period. I mean, Nero was doing everything he could do to stamp out the Christians. Just within a few decades of, of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. So they had no idea the kind of fear they were going to be facing. But I, I think that it, it's good to say in a room like this, there's probably a lot of people living with fear today. Fear of the unknown, fear of all kinds of different fears. On Wednesdays, we just started looking at the armor of God. We've learned that Satan is scheming against us every single day. He's been doing that from the beginning of sin. It's from the time that he rebelled against God, he came to Eve and tempted her. God added on mankind to sin. He's a liar. He's, a he's the father of it. He's the author. He's the artist. And he's the master of all sin and master of all lies. And some, if not a lot, of his tactics, those arrows he throws at us, those schemes that come our way, have the broad head of fear on, on the end of them. The tip of his arrows often have fear attached to them, those lies, those, those schemes, those things that, that come in our lives, and all of a sudden, we wouldn't have otherwise thought about that or bought that lie or been captivated by that fear had he not thrown it our way. But as Christians, if God is our God, and, 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 and we know that he is overall, there's nothing greater than him, there's no one stronger than him, and the power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. We, we believe and have all those things. Why is it still that sometimes as Christians we get captive, held captive 
by fear or worry or anxiety. Why? Why is that still a factor in our lives if Jesus Christ lives inside of us? Again, Satan will lace those arrows with fear, worry, anxiety, and hurl them at us as many times to affect, as, as, as necessary, to affect our entire existence. He'll do it over and over and over again, even, though, even if we're the children of God. He will do it as long as it works. I want you to look at a scripture that's very familiar in Philippians chapter 4. Again, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to the Philippians now, and he says this in verse 6, be careful. And that doesn't mean like be, be cautious. It means be anxious for nothing. In other words, he's saying this. Don't be fearful. Don't be worrisome about anything. He says, on the contrary, here's how you need to approach life. Not with fear, worry, or anxiety, but with prayer and supplication. And you need to do that with thanksgiving in your heart, and you need to come to God presenting all of your requests, all of your needs. And look what he says, the promise in verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep, what does that mean? Shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Where does fear, anxiety, and worry find its, its, its ground, its, its, its soil to take root and affect our lives? In our minds, in our hearts. We begin to think about, we begin to, to feel and, and, and emote things that, again, have found place there. And Paul says, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to worry. There's nothing to be anxious about. There's, and as a matter of fact, that's a charge. Don't do that, but take life. Every, he says, everything, everything in your life, you need to take it to the Lord and by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, I can bring this to you. I'm starting to feel worried about this. God, I'm starting to fear this. God, I'm, I'm starting to feel anxious, and I don't, even, I don't even know what's gonna happen, and I'm starting to feel this way. He says, don't do that, but go to the Lord and trust Him. Go to the Lord and call on Him with thanksgiving that you can do it, and let those requests be made known to God, and allow the God of all creation who breathed out the stars, who reached down from heaven, and saved your soul from the pit of hell and holds you in his arms and holds you in his hands for all of eternity who will not let one hair on your head be touched without him allowing it to, to be so. Trust him and let him be the one that guards your hearts from that fear, worry, and anything else. Let him be the one that guards your mind against that. But here's where I think a lot of us, and I'm guilty of it too, a lot of us get off track in, in, in that. We need to know. We, we, we get beyond that place of trust. And we just have to know. Because that's the way we're wired, right? That's, that's the way it goes. If, if, if we say, well, there's a, there's a potential um, that I, I might lose my job. What happens? We begin to fear and worry. And it begins to govern our minds and our hearts and our lives. Why? Because it's what we don't know and what we can't control. We just, and, and so we go ahead of time, and, we, and I'm not saying it's wrong to make plans or prepare if something catastrophic is going to happen or the potential is, 
but it governs our lives. We worry, we fear, we, all those things captivates us. And what Scripture tells us to do is not to do that, but to go to the Lord and to say, here, God, I don't even know if I'm going to make it past today. So there's no sense in me worrying about tomorrow. There's no sense in me being fearful or worrisome about next week or next year. Even if I do see the day that I lose my job, I don't even know what's going to happen. God, you may have something better prepared for me. You may, have, you may have me go through a season of sacrifice and loss for your glory and for my good. I don't know, but there's no sense in me taking day by day and being captivated by fear or being captivated by worry or anxiousness and things that I have no control over. So God, I'm coming to you and I'm letting my request be made known to you. I'm trusting you with what I don't know. I'm trusting you with what I can't control. I'm trusting you with all because that's what I've done after all. But he goes on, he says this. Finally, brethren, verse 8, back in Philippians 4, he says, whatsoever things are true. So he's talking to Christians. Whatsoever things are true. Where do we find truth? We've already talked about it. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. We've already talked about sincerity. Sincere and right. Just. What things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Look what he says. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So again, verses being captivated. Here goes, here goes Satan. He's thrown those darts. They're laced with fear, anxiety, and worry over things we can't control, over things we don't know, over the things that are completely out of our hands. He throws them at us. Boom, they hit our hearts unless... We're going to God and trusting Him for everything, that we're making our requests being made known to Him, and He begins to guard our hearts. He begins to guard our minds. And in the process, in that same process, all together, He says, the, the, the final matter is this. Think on what's true. Think on what's right. Think on what's lovely. If there's any praise, if any of those things, that's where you need to set your mind. That's where you need to set your affection your, on things above. Think on, on the, th the, the truth that God is in control, that this world is not your home, that you're just passing through, that he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, be sure he knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow, even though you don't. And think on those things. Think on the fact that if, if God so loved you, he would come to this world and, and die, shed, die a death that none of us could ever imagine. I promise you that. We see it in movies, we, 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 we try to wrap our minds around it, but I promise you this, we can't fathom the torture and the pain, the misery that Jesus Christ went through on that cross and leading up to the cross. He did all that because of this great love, and if God so loved us that he who knew no sin would become sin on our behalf, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, if God so loved us that, be sure that he still loves you no matter what you're going through, no matter what tragedy or trial or storm lies ahead or what you're in the middle of right now, there's nothing now to fear because God is in control. The best thing that you and I can do when we're going through a storm or we're facing a storm or there's fears, worries, anxiety ahead of us uh, over those things, the best thing we can do right, right now is to begin to think on what's true, begin to think on what's right, 
Begin to think on what's, what's of honest report. If there's any praise, begin to think on what's pure and sincere. All those things set our mind on the truth of God's word, the promises of God's word, the, the, the reality of who he is in us and for us. And let those things be our strength. And he says, those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And look what the promise is. And the God of peace shall be with you. When you're captivated by fear, when you're captivated by worry, when you're captivated by, by anxiety, the things you can't control, the things you don't know, when you're in that place, what do you long for? Peace. Rest. Your mind gets wore out over things. It's, it's just wearing you out. Your heart, you can feel your, your, the, the, uh, the hormones, the chemicals in your body uh, flush and, 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 and from, from here. And, and it sometimes goes and your stomach gets in knots and you get cr crazy. I, I don't know what's going on. Or I don't, I, I'm so worried. I'm so anxious. I'm so fearful of, of this, of that, of this. And he says, listen, what you need is peace. And here's how you get it. Here's how you get it. Again, in our lives, we want something different, though. But in the reason why is, is here's what I believe. It's harder for us to do this, what he's telling us to do, than it is some of the other solutions out there. And I want to urge you and encourage you. Make sure you go to him first. Make sure you turn to the Lord. Make sure you go and you say, God, I need you. And truly trust him with that. God, you, you know what I'm going through. You, you see from eternity. You know what I'm going through. You know the fears of my mind. You know the fears of my heart. You know, you know what I'm dealing with right now. And I need your help. Saturate yourself in the word of God. Saturate yourself there. Stay there. If, let me ask you this. If, if you're one right now that you're dealing with fear and anxiety and worry, if that's where you're at right now and it's controlling your life, here's what I want to encourage you to do. At least match it with the time that you spend in this. You want to battle it. You say, yeah, I want to trust God. I want to battle this right here. I don't, I'm tired of, uh, of, of worrying about my health. I'm tired of, of, of being governed by this fear of my finances. I, 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 I'm tired of all those things. Then if, it's real, if you're really that breaking point, that tiredness, and I want, I want solutions, I want something that's going to work, then begin to get in this and get alone with God as often and as frequent as you can. Desperate. Desperate for him. Again, that's, that's where sometimes we, we say, well, I, I want to be desperate. No. Wanting to be desperate is different from being desperate. It's investing your all in him. Don't think on the things that you don't know. Think on the truth. What you've, been, what you've heard, what you've been taught, he told Timothy, do that. By faith. Second Timothy chapter, second letter to Timothy, Paul tells him that God is, in chapter 1, verse 7, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. First John chapter 4, verse 18 says this, there's no fear in love, 
But perfect love casts out fear. So what does that mean? The, the, the love of God being perfected in our life casts out all fear. Again, when you embrace the fact that God so loved the world and he so loves you, and he so loves you so much that he's in control of your everything, it casts out fear. Look what it says there on that next part. Because fear hath torment. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I think every single one of us has been a Christian for any amount of time could probably raise our hand at some point. At some point in our life, we have been tormented by fear. In some level, in some, some way. Fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Let the love of God perfect you and be perfected in you. I've shared this story before as a close. I'll share it with uh, many in here probably who haven't heard it. Um, but when I was a kid, we lived in a few of them, but we lived in a, a, a one specific, I remember, in Roanoke. And um, it was a double-wide trailer. And if you live in or you ever lived in a double-wide trailer, uh, you're going to be familiar with something that I, that I tell you. Uh, especially the older ones. You could feel just about every vibration in the floor, right? I mean, if the boys got a little rowdy in the room, mom could holler from across the house if something hit the floor or someone hit the floor uh, because the floors vibrate. And uh, so, as a kid, though, I didn't put two and two together, right? I, I realized that because mom would do that. Like, things would be, be thudding going on. Some of you have two stories, and so you kind of know what that is. I've been to... to some people have two stories in here, and, and they got kids, and, and that upstairs, boom, 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 uh, you're, you're thinking the ceiling's going to come down. Well, that's uh, kind of the way it was in this double-wide trailer. Again, as a kid, I didn't put those two, those two together, and, and so, especially when I went to bed at night. Well, my mom, like many of you, would do laundry at night, right? Long day, been at work. So she'd go in there and she'd put laundry in and it would be going. I'd be in bed trying to go to sleep. And all of a sudden, the washing machine would hit a spin cycle. Okay? Vibrating floor, washing machine across the hall on spin cycle. And so as a kid, I would begin to lay there as the washing machine was doing this deal, captivated in fear. He said, why were you captivated in fear? Well, what you didn't know that I knew at the time is that there was an army of mice that were taking siege on my bed. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was captive. I'm captivated. I, I remember the thought and the fear so much so that I would, I would throw the blanket up over my head and I, and I would, I would pray God save me from this. These mice. I mean, I was, I was captivated by fear. I'm, I mean, thoroughly in fear. Now, at the time, I think I was sharing a room with Sean, but he was the older brother. I, I was the younger brother, and I'm not going to tell him I'm scared because he's going to tell me, suck it up, buttercup, or something. like. Mean, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't say that now, but he, he would have said something of the sort with so much love. Um, and so I would lay there completely captivated. And finally, whenever I did say something either to him or or my older, other older brother, or my mom, I can't remember who it was, I finally somehow got the information and was lovely, lovingly explained to that it was the washing machine on spin cycle. That truth and that love 
cast out the fear. And from that moment on, every time I'd go to bed and that washing machine would hit spin cycle, because of the truth that was shared with me in love, those vibrations became my good vibrations to put me asleep. I embraced them. I loved them. I, I, was, I was happy to feel those vibrations. And it's funny now, but again, I was there as a, as a child, completely captivated by fear. Something I didn't know what it was. It was controlling my life. It was robbing me of sleep. It was doing something that was, again, controlling And some of you as adults here today, something very similar, not, not vibrating beds or vibrating floors. Now some of you are having the same thing in your life today in a very serious way. Being held captive by fear, anxiety, the unknown, or get this, assumptions. Begin to assume, you mean because we don't know. So what is the solution as the musicians make their way? What's the solution? Thinking on what's true. Think on what's holy and right and lovely or full of love and good. Holding to the promises of God. Standing on them and living them out as the love of God is perfected in your life. So here's the truth. You say, so if you're saying that perfect love casts out fear, are you saying that in the love of God is not perfect in my life? Are you saying that I don't love God enough for my fear to go away? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you're a different person than me, and you're a different person from everybody in this life, in this room. And God, obviously, allowing a trial. You're going through something right now. You're under attack. And what he's doing, and what he wants to do through that trial through that fear, through that anxiety, through that worry, what he wants to do and his intention in all of it is this, to draw you closer to him. And as I said a while ago, is your time and investment, your desperation, your pouring out to him in prayer and seeking him in his word, is it matching the level of your fear, worry, and anxiety? You know, we go through storms in life and we hear from the pastor, we hear from a, a, a brother or sister in Christ and they say, hey, I'm praying for you. Are you in God's word? They be, you know, ask the, the right Christian questions. Are you in God's word? Are you praying? But that's not just because that's a good Christian thing to do. Oftentimes we, we say, I'm, I'm doing my devotion and my Bible study and I'm praying. No, no, no. If you're under attack and fear, worry, and Anxiety, those things are crippling you. They're holding you captive. This better be your life. If it's that miserable, if it's that captivating, you should be pouring yourself into the Word of God and pouring yourself out before God, thinking on the things that He's promised. So what has you anxious today? What's holding you captive? Are you there? Then break free of that bondage today. Today, it can be that day. You, you can come down to this altar. You can sit there in your seat. You can make a decision today. You know what? I'm going to stand on the truth. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to be perfected in the love of God. I'm going to let his love be perfected in my life. I'm going to think on the things that are true, right, lovely, and honest, and, and, and all those things. I am going to be free of these things. Jesus said this, fear not, therefore. Why? Because the very numbers 
of the hair, the very hairs on your head are, are numbered. Don't fear. If God knows the number of hairs on your head, don't think for one second he doesn't know every single thought, every single fear, every single situation that you're facing. He's wanting you to come. He's wanting you to draw nigh to him so he can draw nigh to you, as James says. He knows it all. And so you and I have a choice. Or maybe you're here finally. You have a fear of what's going to happen after this life. I, my greatest fear is dying. Unfortunately, today in America, dying is further down the list than it used to be. Financial collapse is above dying for many people. Government takeover is higher than death for most people. But maybe you're hearing you say, I'm afraid of dying because I don't know what's going to happen after that. I want to encourage you to come to this altar and we're going to have two ministers. And they're going to show you in God's word how that fear can be removed from your life today. And they can show you 100% how you can have everlasting life. And that's not some fancy Hollywood pretend word. That's reality. That's entering in to eternal life through a relationship in Jesus Christ. And I beg you to come and experience that and accept that free gift. So wherever you're at, I want to encourage you. Christian, if fear, worry, anxiety, something's got you, Stand on these truths. God wants you to guard against that fear and to live in faith. And it needs to start today. Don't let the enemy rob you anymore. Don't let him take from you what God has given to you. Don't let him try to spoil the plans that God's made for you by keeping you captive in those things. Come today and, and stand on the truth. Think on those things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises in your word. Lord, I know sometimes in our lives we, we can hear something and it seems easier said than done. But God, you are true and you cannot lie. And you, we saw this morning in your word how fear is cast out. We saw in, in your word how we can battle and guard against being anxious about things. How our faith is built and strengthened. And I pray that you'd start with me, the things that can try to creep in in my life and or begin to worry or to, to get anxious about the things I can't control or don't know. Start with me and go, off, go throughout this entire room with every single one of your children. I pray that we would turn to you. God, we would draw nigh to you like we've never done before. If we're truly miserable, if there's someone here this morning that's miserable and in that fear or that, that worry, I pray today would be a day they determine they're going to seek your face with more passion, with more time, more investment than they ever have in their entire life. And test you, and, and test you, try you at your word to see if you won't guard and protect their mind and heart, to see if you won't cast that fear out as they draw an eye to you. Or just move now and we'll praise you for all of it, God. We thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.